2: Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 575 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We are coming to you about a half hour after the Duke versus Queens matchup. Of course, that was a very, very good game for the Duke Blue Devils. We are here to talk all about it. My name is Donald Wine. I am the host of this episode. My co-host, Jason Evans, has decided to, as you mentioned in the last show, to ski the slopes of Park City, Utah, so he is unavailable for this. So I was not gonna just do this by myself. That That'd be very, very lonely. and I like having friends. So of course, I got my friend Scott Rich to come back onto the show to help me break down this Duke victory over Queen. So first off
3: Scott, Scott of the Duke Basketball report. how you doing, my man? I'm doing well. I'm as I said before, I'm I'm settling into my new home in Connecticut back south of the border after some some years in canada and enjoying being able to to watch college basketball a little bit easier as opposed to having to pay an arm and a leg to get it up in canada
2: oh i believe it you know tsn does not carry a lot of basketball games oh, as no. opposed to you you probably get all the hockey uh probably college oh, yeah. hockey
3: tsn's college basketball coverage is a joke that i could do a whole podcast limited on. yeah it's limited <laughs> yeah
2: um, but luckily you're able to watch it. And, and funny enough, you get back in just in time for this game to be on the CW, which is also limiting because as you know, out there, ladies and gentlemen, we missed the first four minutes of this game. Everyone did because the CW uh, has these two hour time blocks. And of course, no college basketball game takes under two hours to the point where uh, Ever. they could do that Ever. We, we should get rid of the two hour time block, changed. make it two and a half. It, it's, it's, it's bad, but we missed the first, first four minutes of this game, but, Luckily, we came to a Duke game where Duke was already in control and it was mainly easy most of the game. The final score, 106-69, to the first 100-point output of the season for the Blue Devils. This obviously is is impacted by Tyrese Proctor. He returned to the floor. He came off the bench, subbed in about seven minutes into this one. You had the the five starters that kind of took us through the month of December in this four-game, now four-game win streak. But it was great to see Tyrese Proctor back. Scott, first let's get to the headlines. As you know and everyone else out there, you can email us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Of course, we're doing this just a half hour after the game ended. Scott does not have access to our email, so he cannot read these headlines. So I'm going to go through and then Scott, you chime in with one that you that either you have or one of these uh, that are that our trusty listeners came through. First, we we'll start with Ken Swanner. Ken said Duke loyalty. Uh, sorry, excuse me, Duke Royalty led by King McCain that was cool we had a lot of references to you know of course queens and royals and, and lots of fodder royalty today. monarchies all this stuff ken hazen uh he wrote in duke causes queens royal pains i thought that was cool scott Sauer, duke blue devils win big with royal flush Ooh, there's a card reference there you know poker reference and then scott wildermuth went all the way to chess and his was duke ends the year with a checkmate so scott any of those uh piqued your fancy or was there another one that you thought would would, would be best
3: i mean those are those are all but be- i should have done this before i wrote up my recap for the website i went with duke quiets queens which is about the most boring alliteration possible those <laughs> are all better than mine that i came up with in 10 minutes we so. can't
2: do a lot of alliteration with cues uh so that was already you already did well by doing that so yeah. congratulations to you for that but uh, I, I thought all of these were good, especially I, I like the the Royal Pains one uh, that Ken Hazen wrote in. So, uh, again, thank you to everybody who uh, who brought in uh, headlines. Of course, we're going to continue to get headlines. So don't just because you're listening to this doesn't mean you can't send one uh, either for this game or for future games. The, the games are coming quick and fast once we enter the new year. OK, let's get to the good because there is a lot of good in this game. First off, 106 points. Uh, I will mention that uh, Duke men's basketball, they released some stats after the game. They scored 46 points in the first half. That was a season high for the blue devils. They then scored 60 points in the second half. That is also a season high for the blue devils. So uh, a lot of scoring there led by Jared McCain on fire, 17 points in the first half, 24 points total had four threes, four rebounds, three assists, three foul or three steals. And I think only one foul and one turnover. Scott, Let's talk about Jared McCain. How fun was it to watch him play today?
3: I mean, he is becoming what we all ex- hoped he would be in the preseason. He was not the highest rated Duke recruiter, or at least there wasn't like a consensus amongst our class like there has been in the past. But he was the one who was getting all this chatter in the offseason. Of, oh, you know, Jared McCain's going to be really good. He's going to be something special. Andy he had some early freshman struggles, as all freshmen who aren't Zion Williamson or Paolo Bancaro do. And now we're seeing what he can be. We're seeing how quick that three-point stroke is. That is going to be something that's dangerous, and that's going to make him a whole heck of a lot of money over the next 10, 15 years of his life. You can't teach that. But I was most impressed with how he's starting to create for himself. The beginning of the year, it was mostly him getting these threes off of plays, off of the creation, the penetration of Tyrese Proctor or Jeremy Roach. Now he's attacking the rim as, by himself. He has these nice, creative, you know, offhand finishes at the rim. But he's also creating some really high percentage mid-range shots. We were texting back and forth during the game about how much the mid-range shot is a lost start in just basketball period nowadays Mm -hmm. I was flashing back to you know Detroit Pistons Rip Hamilton days where you know he would get that mid-range jumper and it was you know good two points no matter what every time McCain shoots in that area you think it's going in and that's a fun type of guy to have on your team
2: I think the best part about his shooting you mentioned his quick release he always looks ready to shoot even if he's running around that's you know if if there's anything that I would compare to Rip Hamilton it's that right Rip Hamilton always ran around with his hands in the ready position, because once he caught the ball, it was going up. Uh, And if he had just an inch of space, he was able to put that shot up. And and as you mentioned, normally it was, it was good, but Jared McCain has that quick fire release. There was a couple of plays in the first half early, right? When the game came on for us, Uh, he had, you know, basically the ball went down to the post. Somebody in the post would kind of flip it back out to him on the wing And before you it almost felt like before he caught it, he was still in a shooting motion and the ball was going into the hoop. It's super quick, super fast. And on top of all that, it's super accurate. You know, it's four. I think it was four for nine from three today. That's uh, that's exactly what you want. You want guys shooting 45, 50 percent from three. I think that's crucial. I think also, you know, like I mentioned, he had, you know, he had a bunch of steals. He had a bunch of assists. He contributed in so many different ways and it's not just his shooting. It's the, like you said, it's the fact that sometimes he would create a shot and then give it up for a better shot. And and being able to be in a position where the defense is falling back on their flat foot and you have the leverage to kind of go up and make a play. doesn't matter what the play is. I think is crucial. And, and Jeremy Kane has found the consistency that was lacking from a lot of blue devils in the early part of the season. I think he's found it at this point and, that it's only going to get better from here if he can continue to shoot like that.
3: And we shouldn't let it go under unnoticed that he also had 4 rebounds today. He had a beautiful yeah. offensive rebound in the first half that he got the offensive rebound, passed it out, instantly relocated for 3, got it back, buried the 3. He's quietly becoming a plus rebounder for a guard, especially at his size. And that's something that, you know, there are some worries, okay, with, you know, if, with flip at the five, how is this team's rebounding going to be? And the consensus was, well, the guards are going to have to rebound, especially Tyrese Proctor, given his size. Well, Jared McCain's become probably our best guard rebounder as a freshman. He gets it to the right place. And that's a skill that's going to be something that pays dividends down the line for sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We, we've mentioned he's had a couple of, I think he's had a couple uh, 10 rebound games yeah. so far this year. So, He's not the he's double double you are,
3: expect from a, from a guard his size, but he's doing it.
2: Exactly. You know, the fact that he is getting 10 plus rebounds, he's become our, you know, one of our best rebounders full stop, not just guards, but just on the team. Uh, and all of it you know, has been very consistent at that so far. Another thing I, I, I you know, speaking of rebounds, I, I'm going to talk about rebounds a little bit in the bad, but I want to focus on our defense. Cause I thought our defense was terrific. 11 blocks, seven of them in the first half, we forced 19 turnovers and, it just felt like this game was easy because, yeah, we were making shots on offense, but our defense was quietly limiting them. Yeah. And even if they, you know, it felt like there's a couple times where Queens kind of, you know, made a couple of runs, a little small ones, but it never felt like we were on our back foot. It felt like every time on defense, anytime, it, you know, Queens got some points for a certain stretch for maybe like 10 minutes of the game in the first half and early in the second half, it felt like that stretch, any points they got was a result of us being too aggressive on defense, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't a result of of Queens putting on the back foot and and like, Oh no, we're, we're, we're losing ourselves out there. They were aggressive from start to finish at trying to get the ball, trying to force turnovers and go the other way and having that generate points. And they did that in bunches this game.
3: Yeah, I mean the first half, especially, it just seemed like Queens was shooting themselves, shooting themselves in the you know, shouting distance of this team. It wasn't anything you know particularly defensively problematic. They you know they were just making some shots early on. Uh, the defense definitely ratcheted up in the second half, which not so coincidentally is when the score differentials spaced out. We shouldn't we shouldn't you know forget. Flip had five blocks today. Yes, he was the biggest guy on the court by a couple of inches. You expect that. But he's quietly becoming a guy who is able to recover for blocks very nicely. He's getting beat off the dribble, especially against, you know, a smaller team like this when he's pulled out. But he had a couple of plays where he got beat off the dribble by a half step, didn't let that defer him, and came back and either altered the shot or full out blocked it. That's something that we've been looking to see from him. Yes, the foul trouble is problematic. I imagine that's something we'll talk about when we talk about the bad. But there are flashes of him stepping up defensively and showing that acumen defensively to be a more traditional five man uh, that are quite encouraging. And again, anytime you get five blocks in the game, that's something that, you know, deserves a pat on the back, no matter who the opponent is.
2: And he was, you know, one rebound shy of a 10-5-5, 19 points, five blocks, four rebounds, two steals two assists, like he was everywhere. And I think the fact that even when you think about rebounds that four rebounds seems low for him, but in this game, I thought he worked hard to get those four because most of the rebounds he had to get were not at the rim because, you know, Queens was not going to the rim that, that often they were shooting a lot of long jumpers. And because of that, you have long rebounds. So for flip to kind of hustle out and get a couple of those. And then again, also, like you mentioned, whenever he had those five blocks, he wasn't always coming down with rebounds there but that was on the team to come down with those rebounds when he gets those blocks. So he generated a lot of offense through his defense. And I thought that was great. Speaking of the offense, going back to that, we've moved the ball quite a bit, especially in the second half. You know, we ended up with 24 total assists on 40 May baskets. 17 of those assists came in the second half. I thought early on, I thought we were, again, we didn't see the first four minutes of the game. So I'm going to discard whatever happened there. Cause it can't, Couldn't see it. No one will ever know. No one will ever know. That's the lost tape. But when we when the when the actual action came on our TVs, it felt like we were just in the end of that 13-0 run and it followed up immediately with an 11-4 run by Queens. And in that, it felt like we were kind of not moving the ball around that much. We settled down after that. And it felt like when Tyrese Proctor into the game, you know, Tyrese returned to the action, that part of the game settled down quite a bit because he was active at First of all, he's trying to get his shot off, which is fine. You When you're coming back from a long layoff, you want to do that. But he was also doing it within the flow of the offense and moving the ball around. You mentioned, you know, Jared McCain getting your offensive rebound, firing it around the horn, back to Jared McCain, who hits a three. All of those were things that Queens could not handle. And even if they're small guards, they could not move faster than the ball. That's just science. No one's moving faster than a basketball that has passed from one player to another. And I think when Duke realizes that, that's when this game kind of turned on his head because they almost were looking for each other. Even Spencer Hubbard checking into the game late in the game, he was trying to find his teammates for shots. He got and himself I think,
3: an assist. It wasn't, it wasn't the basket the crazies wanted, but he got in the box score.
2: He got in the box score. He got the assist on the TJ Power 3. But again, when you're coming in and looking for the better shot, I feel like Duke is a better team when they do that because they end up finding that man for a better shot. And I think that that is what bred a lot of the confidence. And again, the defense kind of fed that a lot. We had a lot of fast break points. So a lot of these assists came on outlet passes or, you know, passing down to someone who took a dribble and and laid it in. But I am super, super impressed with how they came back from this 10 day break. The the word rust was not present in the building, which is terrific. Uh, And being able to be great on offense and especially sound on defense, I thought was incredible
3: there were there was a lot of hand-wringing after the uh the losses on the road to Arkansas and Georgia Tech about the offense about how stagnant it looked and you got to give John Shire credit for really flipping a switch with his team and making an adjustment from a coaching perspective since those losses the offense has been much more fluid there's been much more motion there's been money. it at least seems to the naked eye like they're running more set plays as opposed to just you know, letting Jeremy Roach, you know, do what he wants to do, which was getting us into some trouble in those early season losses. The assist numbers today were fantastic. I think looking at the box score, we had four or five guys with multiple assists. That's something that you don't see every day and something you expect to see when a team puts up more than 100 points. This is the Duke offense that we were expecting to see in the preseason that we were expecting to see after all those little clips and those very highly edited snapshots of the team that we got to see over the summer. The question becomes, does that translate to ACC play? Does that translate more importantly to the road when we're playing against ACC caliber opponents?
2: The only players who did not have an assist in this game, Sean Stewart and Neil Begovich. And again, Neil Begovich played like the last like minute and a half of this ball game. So I I am not, That is that is unfair to expect him to have an assist to contribute to this. Uh, But I I think when you look at this, like just look up and down the box score, like you have a lot of guys that made a lot of great plays in different types of the ball, uh, different sides of the ball. Mark Mitchell, eight rebounds, 10 points like that's you, you. We talk about how Mark Mitchell has not been a great rebounder so far this year. That's the output you want to see. You want to see him almost get double doubles because he's contributing in rebounds. And and yeah, his shot's still not there, but he found other ways to become active. He went to the line. He made his free throws. It, again, we all, everyone made their free throws this game. Seventeen out of twenty three. I'm I'm taking that to the bank every single time. So that is, this team has figured out a way to gel. And the one question mark that we had, how to reintegrate Tyrese Proctor to this offense that was clicking. That answer was great. Like, this is a a great test uh, to that answer. That answer passes with flying colors because, you know, Tyrese Proctor, when he came in, it felt like he never left. And everyone kind of shifted around their roles and responsibilities, and everyone was still able to contribute in ways that they do best. And it felt like everybody had a great game.
3: Yeah, It, it was very encouraging to see that Tyrese just looked like himself. Whenever someone misses that much action, whenever someone has an ankle injury that you're worried, oh, is this going to linger? You wonder if they're going to be a shell of themselves when they first come back. You know, Tyrese had a few hiccups, you know, that over and back turnover was a little bit of a a facepalm moment that you know, okay, he hasn't he hasn't been on the basketball court in a little while. But besides that, he looked like himself. And that's, as a Duke fan, that's all you could ask for. You know, he still got nine points in 18 minutes, which is a very, very solid output. It's going to be interesting to see how Coach Shire handles this guard rotation going forward because Jared McCain is ascending to stardom and Caleb Foster has played very, very well in Tyrese Proctor's absence. He played well against today. His shot wasn't following. He was one for six from three, but he took a bunch of good open looks that I think he can make and he still put up double digits scoring once again. So it's going to be interesting to see how coach Shire mixes and matches those four guards, five if you include Jalen Blakes, but that's a problem that I think every team in America would like to have.
2: Yeah, I, I mean it's an embarrassment of riches. And if if everyone's clicking well, you want like you said, you want to have that problem of of people of, of John Shire going, Who who do I play today? If the answer is everybody, then the answer to everyone. That brings me to my final part of the good, which is the bench. Shout out the bench. We you know, Jason and I have been, you know more Jason than I, but you know, they've been critical of how the bench is performed. And you're like, Hey, if you want to get these minutes, you need to show that you earn them and you need to show that you deserve more when you're on the court, take advantage of these opportunities. Well, the bench I thought played terrifically today. And yes, it was against Queens, but again, some of these matchups, when you have a small team like Queens is that becomes a matchup problem for guys who are bigger. And most of our bench is our bigger guys, right? They're, they're the TJ power, Sean Stewart, Ryan Young, even, you know, Neil Begovich is the last guy off the bench. And even if you bring in, you know, Stanley Borden or, or when Christian Reeves is healthy, like, we just get taller from there. So the guys that came off the bench, I thought, performed magnificently. They had 34 points uh, amongst our bench. We've had games where that has been in the single digits. So to have 34 points come from your bench is is, is remarkable. I thought Ryan Young, once again, did super well when Kyle Filipowski was in foul trouble. He came off the bench. He did his thing. I think he was two for three um, from the floor. He made all four of his three throws. He provided four rebounds. He had two assists. He had a steal. He had a block. Like, this man was everywhere. He was all over the court, and he was active. And again, that action and that, 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 uh, that spunk that he had off the bench fueled everybody whenever he was in the game. And I thought, once again, he provided that spark. And I'm so glad that he has found that role. You know, we almost want him to see, want him to see more playing time, but not necessarily just because Kyle Filipowski is in foul trouble. You want him to, you the, you you feel like he's earned that time on the floor, regardless of what the foul situation may be. But to have Kyle Filipowski, you have to sub off super early in the second half because he had four, and for Ryan Young to come in and carry the load for so long until Flip was able able to get back into the game. I think this speaks volumes about him, and also again just the rest of our bench how they how they performed. I thought was terrific.
3: Two two things on Ryan Young. One, I actually disagree with you about the minutes. I like Ryan Young when he's playing fewer minutes. I don't, I, I, I love Ryan Young as a player, but for whatever reason, I feel like his best performances in the Duke uniform have come in those quick spurts, in those games where he's putting up, you know, six points in 10 minutes or 12 minutes as opposed hockey to- Hockey shifts, yeah. Yeah, like the, role. the efficient hockey shift. And I think, you know, one of the, Biggest adjustments I've noticed from the team after that losing streak was coach players completely abandoned playing flip and Ryan together. Ryan is now Mm -hmm. exclusively playing as Kyle Filipowski's backup is only playing when flip is out and he's played better. He's played better in those spurts. He's played better with a little bit more open floor. And I think that's something that, suits his skills this is a guy who again was a starting center for a big 10 team yes it was northwestern but we can see now northwestern is a pretty darn good basketball program chris mm-hmm. Collins is doing a heck of a job up there so to have that type of a guy off your bench given his limitations to have that playing for 10 minutes a game i will take that every day and twice on sundays the other thing that's worth mentioning ryan looked agile today Ryan was, yeah. he was moving better today than I think I've ever seen him move. He was playing against smaller guys who were taking him out to the three-point line. And yes, he was getting beat off to dribble, like you would expect him to, but it was it was a half a step. It wasn't, you know, a blow by. And he was getting back and he was altering shots and he was making things hard. I don't know what Ryan Young was doing over Christmas, whether he, you know, he, he stayed away from the the Christmas dinner and kept himself, you know, light on his feet. but that was something that's very encouraging because there's going to be teams that we know we've seen this like to attack him in the pick and roll. The more he can adapt and defend that pick and roll better, the more he'll be able to play, the more he'll be able to rest flip. And I think the better this bench unit as a whole is going to be.
2: I I agree with you on that last part, right? I, I, think, I think we're on the same page when it comes to how – Ryan Young should be playing right those hockey shift minutes where he comes in. He's super efficient. He does this thing, and he's like, "Cool, you you good? I'm 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 good." Um, and I think I think the only reason I say I want more minutes from him is because I want to see more opportunities for those hockey shifts to come through. But if we don't need them, we don't need them. And, and today we didn't need them, but he still provided it anyway. So I, the one thing that I will leave with this is with Ryan Young and with the rest of the bench, I want it where when we get to ACC season. They don't think, oh, we got to just get flip out of the game and then we're good. That's the best part about these last couple of games is that Ryan Young has showed that when he checks into the game, the other teams just got to go, damn, like we, we, yeah, we got flip out of the game, but now we got to deal with this guy for for six minutes. And I think that if, if if we're able to do that and have guys that come off the bench contribute thirty four points as a bench, if you got a bench that can contribute that much, look, no team is going to want to play you because. Every team is going to realize that, hey, no matter what lineup is in this game, we have to worry. We're already on our back foot. And I think that is what's been the best development over these last two games is that Ryan Young, especially. But a lot of these bench players have decided that, hey, I need to contribute when I'm not in this game. And sure, Tyrese Proctor is going to probably move into the starting lineup, back into the starting lineup at some point. But that also means Caleb Foster, who had 13 points and we haven't even talked, said his name yet. He's going to go to the bench. And so that bench production still needs to be there. So whatever everyone's job is, whatever everyone's role and responsibilities are, if they're executing them, whether it's in two minute spurts or whereas Roach plays all but 15 seconds of a game. If we're all, if they're all doing that, this team is going to be the team that we thought they were going to be at the start of the season. So I'm really, I'm really, really in- encouraged by what I saw on the floor, especially from our bench.
3: Duke, when healthy, has... A guard off the bench that's going to would start at most power five schools and has a big off the bench that would maybe not start, but play really significant minutes at most power five schools. That's something that is such a luxury to have. It's something that I think Duke fans have been begging for, you know, especially the later years of Coach K's era that we were, you know, very tight seven, maybe eight man rotation teams. That is something new this year this Duke program and that's something that once you get into the gauntlet of ACC play where we're playing two three games every seven days that's going to be something that is going to pay dividends and I think we're starting to see the seeds for that you know laid in this game even against an opponent like Queens
2: stay ready and you never have to get ready and you'll always be ready that should be the mantra for the bench and so far they've been doing that especially in this game hey let's take a quick break it wasn't all perfect We'll discuss some of the bad stuff on the other side of this break. And also, we will get into player of the week and some college
0: football playoff. Stick around. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Wow, the year feels like it's flown by.
2: As we enter the summer, it is the time to take note of the wins that life has brought you. And it's a good time to make adjustments for the rest of 2024. Talking to someone about those wins and improvements can help you recalibrate and give you something to focus on for the remaining months of the year.
0: That's right, Donald. That's where better help can provide the alley-oop. Getting advice from a therapist can help you keep the focus on the good things in life and learn how to handle the hard better. It's online, it's flexible, and you get to fit it within your schedule. You just fill out a questionnaire and you get matched to a professional that can serve as your guide and you can switch anytime you
2: wish. So if you need help setting those goals to carry you through 2024, try BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DukeBB. That's D-U-K-E-B-B today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot slash DukeBB. All right, we're back and and while this game was a blowout, 106 to 69, the final score against Queens, there were a couple of things that we need to clean up. And Scott, I'll start with you. What's the first thing that you thought is something that we can we can look to improve as we as we move into the ACC part of the season?
3: You know, the the, the obvious is Kyle's foul trouble. And again, we we talked in the good about how that was sort of, you know, bandaged over by the fact that Ryan Young came in and had a really good 12 minutes again today. But Kyle Filipowski now has a foul trouble problem. That's something that over this, you know, first half of the season, that's on tape now. And teams are going to start attacking that. The thing that I've noticed that boggles my mind is that it's a it's a dumb foul problem. Kyle, I feel like Kyle Filipowski gets in foul trouble, not for taking, you know. A bad route, you know, on the block, not for you know some of the silly fouls that you know just bad contests. He bumps into someone for a re- on a rebound that he had no chance of getting, or he reaches, you know, after going for an offensive rebound, and that's the type of thing that you hope a guy in midway through his second year cleans up. I think that there's every reason to think he can clean that up. That is, it's a it's a lot easy easier to solve a mental problem the physical one, you know, midway through the season at this point. But Kyle has to know now that teams are going to attack him, that this team looks different as good as Ryan Young was today, that this Duke team is different when he's not on the floor. And he has to be able to play 30, to 35 minutes a game for this Duke team to attain its goals. And whether it's, it's got to be some film study, it's got to be a hard talking to from Coach Shire, those dumb fouls, have to get taken out of his game. Because this is a guy who, like we said in the good, he had five blocks today. And I don't think any of his four fouls were really, you know, going up to contest, you know, traditional block attempts. They were these sort of, you know, ticky-tack fouls. And that's got to be something that someone has to say, I'm a preseason All-American. I'm preseason ACC player of the year. I can't do that. That can't happen. Certainly can't happen against a team like Queens. Where none of that's necessary, I so I to me that's the one that sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I, I
2: think and the funny thing is, is I I agree with you to an extent that the files that we are seeing from him are not the you know aggressive files. Right, we're not going for diving for loose balls and running into somebody. We're not going for blocks and doing they're, they're files that that could be avoided. But I think also it part of it is a due in part to his increased responsibilities. At the five, oh, 100%. like it's one of those things where because he's at the five, he feels that he has to be the last layer of defense when a guy is driving and or he has to be the guy that gets the rebound because he's the tallest guy on the floor. Those sort of things that lead you to make some mental mistakes where, hey, yeah, I know you're seven foot. and I know the guy that tried to catch the rebound at six two, but we didn't need you to get that rebound and we definitely didn't need you to get that foul like that sort of thing where, where I think he can fight through that. I think what's encouraging one is that he has not fouled out in any of these games. Like he's had four fouls and once he gets four fouls, he comes out for a little bit, but when he comes back in, he's not cautious, right? He's not, it's not like he's sitting there letting things go by him and, and saying, Hey, I got four fouls. I got to I got to clam up. He's still being himself, but he's able to play smarter. We just need him to play smarter for those first four. Right. So that he that, doesn't have to get in that situation.
3: That's almost what makes it so frustrating is that you're exactly right. He has these periods when he has four fouls where he plays really smart defense. He contests, but within reason. So he, ha- you know he can do it. He has mm-hmm. a reason. Just something has to click where that has to be the way he defends after his first foul as opposed to after his fourth foul. And again, it's because it's a mental thing. It's something that I wouldn't be surprised if we see that shift happen uh, this season. But it's something that, This Duke team has to know that's on tape after non-conference season. That's going to be something that opponents attack and attack quickly as we enter ACC play.
2: And it could be, again, getting kind of back to the good, right, with how good Ryan Young has played these last couple of games in those shifts when he gets in foul trouble is maybe that changes the calculus a bit on when you take Flip out. for You know, Flip's not playing, like you said, he you know, he should be playing 30, 35 minutes. I agree with you, but he's not playing 40. So he's getting a break here and there and maybe is hey if he gets that first foul in the first 8 minutes of the ball game you could take him out for a minute or two put put in Ryan for that early hockey shift let mm-hmm. him do his thing and give him a breather and that way it's it's not when you're getting like if you're getting a second foul with like a couple you know like a minute or so left in the first half cool i i'm fine with that the fact is he's getting those second fouls and those third fouls sometimes early in the first half so that he has to sit out for a huge stretch and hope that his team can recover without him and we want it where yeah he can get a break here and there but we want it where he's in the game for those big moments for those you know crucial middle part game uh, middle of the half times of the game and also at the end of each half when we're really trying to go for it all or trying to close it out we want him on the floor at that point you don't want him hindered or thinking about the fact that he has four fouls so those are that's definitely something that could be cleaned up and it's Definitely, but you're right. It's definitely something that teams are going to be looking at to try and get him in the foul trouble. My hope is that part of that calculus on their end is, yo, if we do this, then we got to deal with the rest of the bench, and the rest of the bench is clicking right now. So it's not necessarily a game plan to try and get Kyle Filipowski out of the you know out of the game. The game plan may be to to attack him, but it's not to take him out of the game because the reinforcements are just as good at staying in front and and could cause us problems as well. I think. You know, getting to the bat, I think the one thing that I looked at from this particular game that I thought can always change is we talked about how small Queens is. We were out remounted in the first half, 19 to 18. We didn't have a lot. And yes, there was a lot of long rebounds, but we weren't really good at securing the basketball. We won that battle overall, 41 to 33. We did a lot better in the second half. Naturally, you do better at rebounds. Guess what goes up? The score margin. That's what happened in the second half. But I think that's something we have not proven to be the elite rebounding team that we were last year for a large stretch of the season. I think in the ACC part of the season, we need to understand that rebounds are going to be crucial. We need to you know, be winning 80, 80 to 90% of them on defense. And we need to be getting our fair share of offers of rebounds because that conversion into second chance points could be the difference in some of these ball games. So, just because we have a team that's smaller than us doesn't mean that they're going to give us the rebound. We have to go get it. And I think in the first half, the only rest that I saw was on that rebounding portion where it felt like a lot of times they thought, hey, I'm you know, six to 6'9", the guy in front of me is six two, I got this without having to jump or having to make position. And Queens was very, very good at establishing position and getting rebounds. And that's what contributed to some of their points, especially towards the end of the half where they did try uh, to make a quick
3: run. Yeah, I think you know boxing out is again it's it's a, it's a mentality. That's something that no matter how big of a team you are, you will not get the rebound if you don't box out properly. And that's something that again, I I'll give that to this team. This what 10, 10 plus days off since Baylor Christmas break off. You know, a little bit of rust on that end. I I'll, I'll give to them. You know, especially with the way we turned it around in the second half. I do think to you know. of turn a bad into a good the fact that mark mitchell had eight boards today was Mm -hmm. was very very encouraging i'm we're starting to see mark mitchell embrace being a four as opposed to trying to be a three playing a four and the more that he becomes a real power forward and i think the more duke fans start viewing him as a power forward as opposed to the small forward that he was sort of playing out of position as last year the better this team will be suited. You know, it doesn't matter if Mark Mitchell is shooting 20% from three, if he's your format, if he's getting six, eight rebounds a game, if he's getting those putback dunks, if he's being a defensive presence. We're starting to see that transition, you know, that change in mentality. And I think that that will be the biggest key to fixing this rebounding issue, which has definitely been a weakness throughout the season. If Mark Mitchell is... Consistently, this team's rebounder, second leading rebounder after flip, that means that good things are happening. That means that he is attacking the rim both offensively and defensively.
2: And it also means you have an interior rebounder and one on the perimeter. We just talked, we, we talked loads about how Jerry McCain has been rebounding well on the perimeter. You have two guys on the inside, one on the perimeter. We're winning rebounding battles. And in turn, I think the rebounding battle is a good telltale sign. That you're going to win the ball game because of all the things that come with those rebounds. Okay, anything else on the bad before we move on to to the
3: play of the game
2: and the player of the week?
3: I this this is this is nitpicking a a forty point win, but there, there were some moments from Sean Stewart today that you know made me shake my head a little bit, and it's so frustrating because you can tell how talented this young man is. You can see how he's going to jump out of the gym, but. he's there's there's something missing He's, he's not quite ready for prime time yet and that's frustrating i think that's frustrating for a huge segment of the duke fan base many of which are on twitter they like to shout that getting sean stewart more minutes is the solution to all of duke's problems but duke's defense noticeably drops off when he's on the floor it's unfortunate to say but it's true and i think that the the mental part of his game, especially the defensive rotations, the defensive switches, that has to click before he's going to start getting some of the minutes. And, you know, we all thought he'd be a guy who was getting major minutes by season's end. That's not going to happen until that part of his game clicks. I didn't see that today.
2: Yeah, it it hasn't slowed down for him. There was that one uh, sequence at the towards the end of the game where he he made a great play to, to basically slice through the defense. Uh, this guy looked like a double trap, and he sliced through the trap and had an open lane to the basket and dunked it, and it just rims out. He grabs the rebound, and he puts it back in for a layup, and that rims out. It, like That's one of those things where you're just like, hey, this is not my day, but I feel like the game just hasn't slown all the way down yet. And that, that's when that perfect happens, way happening' Yeah, when that happens, he's going to be fine. It's just a matter of when that happens. And for some people, it's, you know, Jeremy Kane, it was probably the first game of the season where he was like, oh, wow, this is this is quick. I need to, need to figure this out. And I think for him, is it's coming a little bit slower than anticipated because I think a lot of people wanted to see more of Sean Stewart in the lineup with his, with his athleticism. And we talked about an offense at the beginning of the season that his offensive portion of his game was way more raw than his defensive portion. But you just mentioned his defense, you know, the defense as a whole kind of drops off a little bit because he's just not fully, you know, he just hasn't slowed down to the point where the game comes easy to him. I think that's coming. I think it's just... a oh, 100%. Um, but when that happens, I think that's going to be a key development for Duke. So, yeah, uh, you know, Sean Stewart, it, it will be, uh, there will be better days. Um, But sometimes you just, you know, the ball just does want to go in the hole, even if you try to dunk it through, which is what happens. Yeah, it's, it's,
3: it's hard to tell sometimes whether... You know, he's whether he's just snake bit that, you know, th- the missing those two bunnies. That certainly could just be a guy who is having an unlucky day and that translates to the rest of his game. It's sometimes hard to disassociate those two. But, you know, God, if, if he puts it together, that takes the bench unit like you've talked about to another level. That gives the Swiss Army knife another tool that mm-hmm. I think we all are hoping to see. But it's, it's just not quite there yet.
2: If it makes Sean Stewart feel better, I, too, miss my dunks uh, inside of three feet. So
3: I have missed every dunk I ever attempted. So the
2: best, the best, the best do this sometimes. So then some, you come back, you will dunk another day. I'm I'm sure you have it in you. Okay, we're going to get to the play of the game. I think there's quite a few options here.
3: Um, So I'm going to start with you. Which one did you have? Oh, I had the Jared McCain behind the back move on the fast break. That was, you know, the get around the defender was beautiful. The way he was. The way he finished creatively at the rim was even more beautiful. I think that for him to achieve not only his goals in the Duke uniform, but at the next level, those are the type of things that he's going to have to do. He's going to have to be a Steph Curry style, finishing creatively at the rim, not just a shooter type of a guy. And we're seeing those flashes of him doing that. That play, he put you know, three or four flashes together into a beautiful highlight reel play. That's something that left me, you know, just super, super encouraged for what he's going to be down the stretch this year.
2: Jared McCain, I had two plays of the game because I couldn't decide between either of them both involve Jeremy McCain. The first one was about a minute into the second half uh, where he put that defender on skates. He, he got the ball. He ran the length of the floor. He, he, I don't know who that defender was because the CW's cameras are potato cameras. You can't really <laughs> see the other team's numbers. Um, but I don't know where where that guy was. But he ended up in Hoosville. Um, on that on that play, he, he all of a sudden he turned around, turned around again, and Jerry McCain was behind him for a third time and laid the ball in. I thought that was terrific. The other one I saw was uh just a few minutes later, McCain got gets a steal. This is I think we had just gone up thirty at this point. McCain gets the steal. He drives all the way down. He gets inside the lane. He flips it to Blake's, who's just outside the lane. Blake's feeds it to a trailing Proctor, who was coming up uh, from from the backcourt for a three pointer where the net didn't even move. Um, and as soon as he shot it, it was just like it's just butter on a roll. So those two, I thought, were great because again, one Jared McCain just you know took some dude's soul, uh, and the second one was a team play where everyone felt like got involved and it started with defense. It, it beget offense and the offense was like spectacular. So, um, so yeah, those two are, are, are my plays of the game player of the week because we only have one game. Uh, I'm going to go on a limb and say it's Jeremy Kane. What do you think?
3: I think in this one game sample size, that's a pretty good choice.
2: That's a pretty good choice. Okay. We're we're going to leave it there with Jeremy <laughs> Kane, Jeremy Kane player of the week. Once again, uh 24 points in this game just incredible incredible output we're gonna close out because scott is is my fellow man of michigan um he he went to the university of michigan uh i am from michigan we are we are he has a two four eight area code on his phone number i'm not gonna (laughs) give you the rest of his phone number but two four eight is where i grew up this is this is good stuff here so of course we're in the last this is the last podcast of 2023 Next time we speak with you will be after New Year's Day, which is when the college football playoff takes full flight with the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl, the two semifinals, Michigan-Alabama and the Rose Bowl, Texas-Washington and the Sugar Bowl. First off, uh, Scott, we're both Michigan fans. Michigan is playing Alabama. We've talked about how this came to be. We don't need to rehash that. But when you look at this game, how is Michigan
3: going to beat Alabama? Michigan is going to beat Alabama. If Jalen Milrow does not rush for more than 50 yards, that's what I'm that's what I'm going to stake my claim on Michigan going back decades going back to Troy Smith when he was at Ohio State and gave me nightmares as a child has always seemed to have a problem containing running quarterbacks and we have faced one I i am already going back to calling Michigan We. Which, well, I'm sure, will get people very angry here. I've, I've degrees <laughs> from both schools, people, so please don't, you know, kill me too much. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> that's fine.
2: We're this is the wee portion of the podcast. Go ahead.
3: There we go. But his running ability scares me, and that's something that I would much rather the entire defensive game plan for Michigan be he ha- General Jalen has to throw to beat us. If he, if they have to throw, you know, crazy, desperation heave to Isaiah Bond like they did to beat Auburn to win this game, Michigan's in good shape. In order to do that, though, Michigan also has to be able to control the ball offensively. Michigan has to be able to run the way that people think of Michigan running the ball. Michigan hasn't run the ball quite as well this season as they have the past two. And that's a story that has gone a little bit under the radar. Because of the fact that they went undefeated again because of Blake Coram's success scoring the ball. But the offensive line hasn't been quite as dominant. They're now down their best player, Zach Zinter, who suffered a, a really horrible broken leg mm-hmm. in the game against Ohio State. So you don't know how that's going to hold up against an SEC defense. So if it becomes a shootout, if it becomes a situation where Duke or where Now I'm really mixing them up. Where it becomes (laughs) a situation where Michigan is having three and outs and giving the ball back to Alabama, that scares me as a Michigan fan. That's something that Michigan has to avoid in order to win that game. That said, I think if there's ever a year that Michigan's going to win it all, it's this year. It's this year with J.J. McCarthy, who is, I think, the best quarterback in the college football playoff, and a lot of times the best quarterback can make up for a lot of other things. So as a Michigan fan, that's what I'm hanging my hat on against, you know, against beating a team in Alabama that probably has more pure talent.
2: I I think Michigan wins this football game if they realize that they are the best team in college football. Because the last couple of seasons they, you know, even against TCU, they didn't think they were the best team in college football. They just thought they were better than TCU, and TCU came out and and had something to prove, and they 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 shocked them against Georgia. Georgia was the best team in college football, right? They weren't. There was no mistaking that, and they got they got the doors blown off them. Michigan this was year, so happy
3: to be there. They were Georgia just happy to be the in,
2: in the dance. And hey, you're talking about us. We're still at the dance. Don't worry about it. In, in in true Lions fashion, right? Like, you know, we're Lions fans. Lions, <laughs> Lions made the playoffs. And you can tell me nothing else, but we in the dance. You got to talk about us. And this year for Michigan, this is the year that they have to understand that that number one is by their name for a reason. And I think people can disagree with me all they want. Michigan is the best team in this college football player. They are the best team in college football, and they need to go out and play that way on um, offense and defense. I think, of course, the defense was one of the best in the country. I think it was the best scoring defense in the country. Second was Penn State, who just got beat by Old Miss. They need to recognize that, hey, we are the best team in football. And it does not matter who they line up against us. If they want to put Alabama in there because they think they're one of the best four teams, that's fine. They can pretend that they're one of the best four teams because we're the best team. And if they get that in their mind, I don't think there's anyone that's going to stop them because – They've proven thus far that throughout every challenge that has been presented to them, and their coaching staff and their players, they've responded to every single one by just one word. And Scott, I know you know that word is "bet." And it's, so, it's, just, just, just as long as they realize that they're going to be okay. On the other side, Texas, Washington. My brother went to Texas. He's a Texas X. I'm going to rock with with the Longhorns in that one. Very quickly, who you got in uh, Texas versus Washington?
3: So one of my best buddies in grad school is a Washington Husky. I'm going with them. I think it's ridiculous how they're an underdog again as the undefeated, you know, overseeded team. How they were a nine-point underdog to, in the Pac-12 championship game to a team they had already beat will forever blow my mind. We were. I don't understand how Vegas works. I will never <laughs> claim to understand how that works, but that still I've, is ridiculous to me. And it, it wouldn't it just be fitting if Washington makes the national championship game as the Pac-12 is fading into oblivion? It would just be such a, you know, a perfect way to show the ludicrousy of all of this conference realignment that the Pac-12, this conference that couldn't make any money that no one wanted is putting one of their teams into the national title game. You know, that, that's the story that, would happen if someone was writing this, you know, in 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 the Disney factory. I think Washington can do it. I think Michael Penix is just a fantastic, he's amazing quarterback, and he's he's one of those kids that you never want to root, it, you never want to pick against with the way he sort of picked himself off the floor so many times in his career. You know, people forget he was at Indiana, had you know multiple season-ending knee surgeries, and ended up a Heisman finalist leading a team in the college football playoff. That's just incredible. I'm never picking against that kid unless he's playing against Michigan or Duke.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, I I think low-key that game is going to be the best one, right, of, of these two. I think that one has the the, the star power, the, the firepower. Both both of those teams can score some points, and yeah. they have some be dynamite game. teams.
3: It may not be the best game. It'll be the most entertaining one because there's oh, going to yeah. be fireworks. There's going to be big plays. There's going to be lots scores. of points. Michigan-Alabama that could be that could very easily be a big 10, you know, 14-10 game. You know, that is within the realm of possibilities there. Mm-hmm. If if one team only scores 14 points in Texas Washington, I would be blown out of my socks. I'm taking the over in that game.
0: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a nice New Year's Day uh, slate of games. You also have the Fiesta Bowl, I want to say, is on uh, early in the in the uh, uh, day before. Yep. So we still have some a lot of bowl games left to be played. Our bowl our bowl season's done. Ours being Duke, um, we ended that with a win. Also, shout out Vegas because they had Troy favorites and uh, they were not <laughs> favorites. <laughs> they were. <laughs> hey, I I think I thank Vegas for that. But um, <laughs> I, I think these games are going to be incredible. I'm looking forward to watching uh, both of those. But we are going to leave it here on episode 575 of the Duke basketball roundup. We will be back. Very, very soon, probably uh, once Jason returns from Utah the first of the year, we have another game to preview. Games are coming quick and fast. The ACC, the, the real meat of the schedule is upon us. We have uh, a game on Tuesday against Syracuse in Durham. We will preview that probably early on Monday or Tuesday. So look out in your feeds for that. Then, until then, I am Donald Wine. He is Sky Red Scotch. Thanks again for, for joining me and, and being my uh, my compadre on this one.
3: Thank you for having me. I'm I'm glad we got to get in our Michigan talk while Jason is away. When
2: <laughs> this is this is what happens when, when you leave the the uh, leave the Mr. prisoners Sanders to run the, run run the prison. Podcast.
0: So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> leave me in charge. We're going to talk to Michigan stuff. All right, we're going to get out of here for for Jason who is not here for Scott Rich who is. I am Donald. It is now time for the Duke Band to play us out and take us home.